Coming up on today's show, we talk about our most underrated movies. We talk about how James Bond will be infecting your iPhone 10, And we also mention Forrest Whitaker's weird eye. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, welcome to Talk Filmy to Me podcast. We have made it to episode 10, 10 Things I Hate About You. I love it. My name is Adam Flint. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Flint. I'll start off by apologising for once again taking a little bit longer than I'd like for us to have recorded this podcast. Um, I put it down to changing jobs. In case you weren't aware, I work in media. I've just changed my jobs from Sky working in the fashion world at the Business of Fashion and it is London Fashion Week at the moment. That means my life has been nothing but finding out about what hotels are letting in our staff and coordinating the website and everything else in between. Anyway, enough about my life. I'm joined back by John Crick. You're Hello. back, my man. I'm back. I've been in Arizona and Barcelona. I had legitimate excuses for not filming uh, this podcast. But uh, yeah, here we are. We're back together again. Did you... Did you follow the, just because this is quite topical for our audience, because most of our audience, as I found out through data mm. and analytics. Data. It, uh, data. So I've been in America. Well, actually, Australians do as well. I once worked with this developer who used to say data. Oh. And uh, every time he said it, anyway, looking at the data, <laughs> most of our audience actually are iPhone users and iTunes users. Obviously, another product that made it through to its 10th iteration recently have yeah. you noticed that everywhere that's reporting on the iphone x they always put the iphone x in brackets pronounced 10 <laughs> really <laughs> yeah. oh my god that's so lame anyway should we crack on with news oh, i'd love to hear some news so over the last few weeks there's been loads of things that have come out in the media loads of things that have been uh, happening in the industry of film but what i want to do is dive into a few nuggets of things that have happened recently and kind of give a bit of analysis behind that so have you heard recently about what's happened with star wars episode nine no so, for those of you who aren't aware, um, the director, Colin Trevorrow, who used to direct, or used to, he did direct, uh, Jurassic World, has now stepped away from the project Star Wars Episode Nine. Now, you think, oh, okay, Star Wars recently, you think about the Han Solo movie, they got rid of their directors recently and replaced it with Ron Howard. You had a similar issue that happened with Rogue One. Um, this is kind of becoming a trend within within the Disney Star Wars hierarchy. Um They've brought back J.J. Abrams to finish off the trilogy, mm. which, um, to be honest, I watched, in preparation for this podcast, actually, I watched back The Force Awakens. And um, for all you Star Wars nuts out there, I'm going to have to say something quite uh, blasphemous. It's not, not aging well. Good. <laughs> it's, it's, have you have you seen it? Have you the Force seen, Awakens? Yeah. yeah, I remember it was way overhyped. Uh, I thought it was quite overrated. I think it was just... A bit bland and a bit too um, pastiche on the originals, you know. It's like, yeah. Didn't see much of a point. Not enough risks taken. It was kind of a sanitised Disney stuff. It's what it's what you expected, and I I guess that's my general theme on this podcast that I'm very bored with predictability, and I felt like the Force Awakens was the epitome of predictability. Yeah. Um- if you told me that opinion straight after I saw the film, I probably would have said, what the hell are you talking about? But now it's been out for a couple of years and the original hype has gone. 
it's achieved its mission of relaunching the franchise to a newer audience, whilst at the same time kind of apologising for that prequel trilogy. And now you just watch it on its own merit. Let me tell you, I watched it on the Disney cruise ship. <laughs> on on the night it was the night before it was out we got the special pre-screening so it was like okay let's go and watch this in the huge cinema the front of the cruise ship it was exciting and then um me and my now wife were a little bit dis disappointed to be honest. okay well obviously jj abrahams wrote and produced and directed actually uh that movie so i'm kind of worried him coming in on the ninth instance and and basically i think the reason why why Lucasfilm went with him in the end was they don't they know what they're getting, but also Colin Trevorrow. So he's got this reputation now. All of a sudden, um, where it's come out through the media recently, that he's a right arsehole to work with. So like basically, he was handpicked by Steven Spielberg to do Jurassic World, and that meant that when it comes to creative control, he had every decision. He was the final decider on everything, and it meant he was a nightmare to work with. Now, he went away and made a film in between um, Jurassic World and starting the new um, Star Wars project called The Book of Henry. And that got released in cinemas recently as well. Now, that has tanked to the point where he takes a lot of... Actually, you might be quite interested in this one because he does take a lot of risks, a lot of directorial risks in terms mm. of um, subject matter and the, the tone of that he uses in the film. It talks a lot about um, ADHD as well as lots of uh, lots of interesting takes on different uh, mental um, conditions as well. And Lucasfilm, I suppose, heard the reception of this film went, you ain't coming near Star Wars now, pal. Mm. And um, he was he was vacated. And they they've got a release date of 2018. Sorry, 2019. They have now pushed that back, and they're starting from scratch again. So it's quite interesting how. This young upcoming, well, not young, but this relatively new upcoming director uh, made $1.6 billion with Jurassic World. Disney, who acquired Star Wars for something like $4 billion, for $1.6 billion. One yes, we are getting this guy in. And then found out about his reputation and then found out about this movie that he's made. It's like, yeah. it's, it's just kind of weird. We don't want a risk taker, do we? Not a, I don't want any out of the box thinkers. If I did not get these queens to sign a peace deal soon, I would not become famous. So I decided to think outside the Geschwindigkeitsbegrenzung. Well, that's the thing, I suppose, with with these big big franchises is this they're not a director's medium. Like those big big franchises, they're not. You're basically a name's coming. It's almost like almost like TV directing you know, yeah there's an overarching story it's already been predetermined you're just a name at the top of the poster and if you have too much of creative influence on this they'll just can you yeah anyway that's enough about star wars speaking about big franchises james bond coming into his 25th incarnation next year daniel craig's returning that will be the last film to be distributed by sony now bond is the only i suppose franchise out there which isn't attached to one spe uh, specific studio it's owned by one publication which will do a deal with a a studio to make films for a number of years and sony has had a very long contract i think something like 15 years and that contract comes up for renewal after the 25th film now word on the street is that netflix and amazon 
and a newly formed film division in Apple are bidding for the rights to make the next Bond film past Bond 25. And the reason why this is quite interesting, why it's building up some speed, is that Apple have a tendency to, when they set up something, is they'll look at the industry leaders. And yes, OK, you can say they copy designs and ideas and things like that. I, I personally think they, they get inspired and make it better. But anyway, that's a different story. Um, they tend to poach people from different things. You know, Apple News, when that started a couple of years mm. ago on your iPhones, they actually went and took editorial staff from some of the best publications on the internet to help set up Apple News. And they're doing the same with their film division. A load of Sony executives who were in charge of the Bond deal have now joined Apple as part of their film setup. Mm. So this is building up pace. Now, this is where it's becoming quite interesting slash a bit of a concern. Now, we think of films like... Um, Wow, what did we review on Netflix a while back? The Okja. Okja, yep. You think of that exclusive content, and it's the only distribution model is through the Netflix model. Mm. Now, imagine if James Bond became... Had a giant pig in it. It had a giant pig. It exactly <laughs> had a giant pig. But also, that giant pig, the only way you could see that giant pig was by having a Netflix account or being an Apple customer in some size, shape, or form. Now, we're all great about it when it's original content, but how do we feel when it's a property that we love that has been a British institution for a long time? I think it might be a way of reaching out to people because maybe Bond isn't really as popular as it as it was. Do you think? They keep making lots of money. And yeah, but you... every film, every huge... Okay. So many bad films make money these okay. days. Okay, that aside, how do you judge how successful a film is by awards? How good? How much I like it. How much you like it? Yeah, no, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, you can't tell me you haven't enjoyed a Daniel Craig Bond film. No, I have. I have. Um, which I'm not a big Bond fan. When you said Netflix and Apple might have their paws in it, I just imagined a like really politically correct Bond. He's back. Ah, oh, martini, Mr. Bond. No, I'll have a smoothie. With a whole new outlook. Did you enjoy that? Loved it. The name's Bond, James Bond. Licence to respect. <laughs> God, I love recycling. I would do. I think I'm more concerned about if Apple own it. Because do you remember Apple... I mean, they've only done it with crap content so far, but do you remember when they had that exclusive U, uh, U2 album and they <laughs> yeah. stuck it on everyone's iPod and no yeah. one asked for it? Yeah. I almost say do that at Bond. They just go, oh, by the way, Bond 26 is now in your video library. I think the days of Apple assuming that everyone likes uh, the thing because it's popular are probably over after the U2 gaff. Poor U2. They didn't realise how unpopular they were until that moment. I you can think. imagine, though, the, the Apple CEO just going, how about we get you two to do the song for them? <laughs> and it's just like Bono just comes in. Yeah, yeah. And it's, oh, no. It'll be, it'll, I think, you know what, let's just see how Bond 25 goes and and take it from there. But, um, yeah, it'll be, it's interesting. It's a sign of the times, though, isn't it, as well, about how the distribution model is changing and, you know, you can thank Netflix or hate them for it. But the fact that things are going to change and that we might be watching films in a completely different way. And I think if this does happen with Bond, I think this is going to be when we look back in the history of film and say that's when on-demand film really did overtake mainstream cinema. Mm. So anyway, that's a bit too deep, that one. Let's go back to just violence and guns. John Wick. John Wick. Have you ever seen John Wick? Keanu. No, no, I haven't. No, you haven't. Anyway, great film. 
really do recommend it. And even someone like yourself, John, might find some something enjoyable in it. Anyway, the third film, the second sorry, the second film came out recently. They've announced a third film is in the works already, and it'll be coming early next year. Mm. That is ridiculously quick for a film. Like, yeah, that means they're starting principal photography now. They're filming now. They're editing. Early Was next this not year. one where they filmed two at once and then they just staggered the release? Possibly, but as far as I'm aware, it's a completely new director and right. new new direction they're going in. Um, the director of this one was the guy who directed uh, Atomic Blonde and he's kind of developing a bit of a style, but he's moving on to another property mm. very soon. So, yeah, it's a completely new take from that perspective. But um, speaking about stuff that we've covered in the past, Hellboy, I've been talking about this project for a little while. Ron Perlman was originally going to reprise his role as as Big Red. Um, that was about six or seven months ago. That project got canned. Then Gerino Tel Toro moved on, and they're starting from scratch. David Harbour from Stranger Things is going to be playing the lead in this. There was all that kerfuffle about whitewashing in Hollywood and Hellboy was at the centre of that story as well but anyway some positive news come out from uh, the camp recently and that was David Harbour released a picture of him in the in the makeup and get up and when you have a chance have a look at it it looks incredible he has got himself in amazing shape and I'm really looking forward to this did you watch Stranger Things on Netflix? Oh, I loved it yeah he well, I thought he was a stand him, and Winona, I thought Winona Ryder was absolutely fantastic yeah. as well. But um, and she, who uh, does he play in Stranger Things? He's the sheriff. Oh right, and, and he's got himself in great shape. He's yeah, he's uh, there was a joke uh, floating around when he got the part of Hellboy of a dad bod, yeah. and um, yeah, he's he's been listening, he's been lifting. He yeah. is in incredible shape. It amazes me. Zac Efron in Baywatch. Oh. did you you actually watch Baywatch no I didn't but I I tell you I was as I do I was jet setting and I I didn't watch Baywatch but the person to the right of me in front of me was watching it and you know on a plane where you just keep watching someone else's screen yeah and because it's Baywatch it was just full of nudie people so I was just watching casually nude people because I couldn't take my eyes off of it but I wasn't listening to it so um, I think it's a far more enjoyable way to watch yeah. the film <laughs> by, the, by the reviews of this of that film you're probably better off just watching it in just silence just perving just perving yeah, yeah let's might as well just call it well, to be fair that's what the, the the TV show was about wasn't it basically it was just I don't remember one storyline and I, I watched s- several episodes slow mo that's all I remember right? someone drowns or nearly drowns. I always remember they, they were doing things that they were far too underqualified to do, like solving drug cases and <laughs> like going yeah. to court. Like, the surprising amount of times they went to court, and it's like, you're a lifeguard. And I remember as a kid thinking, I really want to aspire to be a lifeguard. Mm. And this is no disrespect to people who are lifeguards, of course, but. The bar for achievement to get to being a lifeguard is essentially getting some swimming certificates and being available on a weekend. You set your bar a little bit higher. But um, anyway, before I before I get myself into too much trouble, final piece of news that came out last night actually on the internet is is kind of uh, going wild with this one. Have you seen Ex Machina? Yes. Completely love that film. underrated film. Oh yes. Which speaks to our feature later. But anyway, the the main actress in that, Alicia Vikander, she is 
being she's Lara Croft in the new Tomb Raider movie. Oh. This is based on the reboot computer game they done a few years back, where they grounded it more in in reality because that's what the the general theme of Hollywood is for films now, grounded and gritty in reality. And mm. um, she plays someone who crashes on a on an island, and then from that island experience becomes Lara Croft, the Tomb Raider we all we all know and love from the early nineties slash two thousands. And the first image of her as Lara Croft. So it's like an Earth. origin story. Yes, yeah, an origin story. Oh, that's kind of interesting. And the poster first came out mm. um, last night of of her in the role, and it's been photoshopped, mm. and it's not been photoshopped to give her a bigger ass, a smaller ass, more breasts, whatever. It's not nothing to do with Sexual. sexualization mm. of the character, which is kind of weird. Lara Croft is basically especially in the early 90s, was just sexualisation of women. Yeah. But anyway, um, they've adjusted her neck slightly. Right. And you don't notice it at first. And then until the internet does what the internet does, picked up on it and absolutely run wild of it. It is actually quite funny. For some reason, they've extended her neck and turned it so she's kind of giving an over-the-shoulder look. Right. But some people have managed to Photoshop in scenes from Jurassic Park so her neck kind of looks like a dinosaur's <laughs> neck in it. <laughs> It is quite funny, but at the same time, it's like, why have you done that? I'm, I don't remember her having like a weird-shaped neck or head in, in anything I've seen her in. Yeah, it's very bizarre. Maybe it's there so people talk and make jokes and advertise the movie. That would well, be pretty clever marketing. It would be very clever marketing, to be fair. Um, but I think it's probably more of a Photoshop fail. But anyway, yeah, so that's coming out next year. And that's pretty much the major news pieces for the last week or so. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cool. Further feature this week, I was actually... This came to me because I was watching a ghost story with Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. It came out a few months ago. If you have an opportunity to watch it, please do. It's a film that, after you watch it once and then you let it sort of rest in your head and your subconscious... It, you grow more fond of it over time. I think this. I actually generally think this is going to be in the Oscars category for that reason. No one's really spoke about that film when it got released, and it made me think: What about underrated films? Films that you've either seen or come out under a radar, and you've watched at a later date, and you thought that was amazing. Why aren't people talking about this film forever? Or why isn't this being held in as high regard as other films that you know? If they just get the release pattern right, then all of a sudden it becomes really noteworthy in the media. So I said to John for our first feature back, let's 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 talk this through. Let's go through some of our films which are definitely underrated classics. So I'm gonna kick this off. And John, I saw this was in your list as well, and thankfully uh, you removed it so that I I didn't look too. Um, didn't look like I didn't have anything to talk about. I'm going to go with The Prestige as uh, one of my main ones. I absolutely love this film. It's brilliant. The, my only confliction with it is, is it underrated? Because I speak to a lot of people who do love it as well, but I do feel like it completely passed me by and it must have passed a lot of other people by. But it just struck gold with the cast at the time, didn't it? And oh. Nolan, one of his... Probably his best movie, would you say? So Maybe yeah, that or the Dark Knight. I think if the reason why I think this is so underrated is because, hey, you're right. When it came out, no one really spoke about it too much. In fact, I think commercially, it probably didn't do that well. No. But if you make, and the reason, another thing is that if you sit down with people and say, make a list of Nolan's best films, not many people like if you had to say like the top three out of the 
seven movies. I can't remember the exact number, but if you had to say pick the best two, The Prestige definitely wouldn't be in most people's lists. And it's a crime, really. I mean, Nolan's an amazing director and, you know, we can wax lyrical about him all day, but... The Prestige, for those of you who haven't seen it, the core concept is basically between two magicians who have been trying to one-up each other for their entire lives. One is a showman, one is an excellent magician behind the scenes, knows the sleight of hand tricks, but for whatever reason didn't quite make it out. And They work together for a long time in this film and then they work apart for a long time in this film. It also brings into elements the sort of fantasy, sci-fi, technology element and by by Tesla, the the mad scientist Tesla, I don't know if he was mad, but I always perceived him as being mad, and played by the late David Bowie. And when David Bowie appears in the film, it's always a treat. But he's 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 only in it for a few scenes, but when he's in a scene, he completely steals the show. And what I love about Nolan is that he always seems to carry actors through mm. from previous films. Um, this does have Christian Bale in it. It also has Michael Caine. You're a magician, not a wizard. You've got to get your hands dirty if you're going to achieve the impossible. Um, but also Hugh Jackman. He really does. I mean, I, I think Hugh Jackman's a really underrated actor, in my opinion. Um, not just because of his portrayal as Wolverine and everything else, but I think this is one of his best performances. Mm. And what Hugh Jackman can really bring to the table is his showmanship. Um, when he goes into character of being his magician on stage, you think, man, this is a guy in his prime. Like He is entertaining you, he's entertaining the crowd in the film, and you really do believe that the story he's trying to portray is just trying to be the best showman possible. And it's a revenge story. It's a story about how someone um, is trying to constantly one-up his rival, whilst at the same time always feeling inferior to him. Mm. I think there's a lot of hidden emotion in that film. And there's an amazing twist, which I'm not going to go into, because I won't go any further than that, because apparently saying a twist is a spoiler in itself. Yeah. But um, there is a really good twist, which I did not see coming during mm. this film. It kept me engrossed from the start to the end. And it doesn't need a sequel. It's not part of a bigger universe or anything like that. It's a great original story. Yeah. And I really do implore you to watch that. One of my professional magician fa friends that I worked with on the ship, he it's his favourite movie. That's coming from a proper magician as well. They all love it. So that's uh, pretty good reviews, I guess, if you're getting it from the actual profession. Never show anyone. They'll beg you and they'll flatter you for the secret, but as soon as you give it up, you'll be nothing to them. You understand? Nothing. John, what have you got? Uh, I've got a few. Okay, I'm going to go with one now, maybe a bit controversial. David Fincher, great director. Yeah, love him. One of his most underrated movies, I think, and full disclosure, I haven't seen this movie for a while, but I I remember think, being blown away by it. I thought it was brilliant. Panic Room. You ever seen Panic Room? Yes. Panic Room is a movie takes part in a house. Um, Jodie Foster and her daughter. Jodie Foster with a small family member who she's very possessive over, obviously, is always... That's a suspenseful dream come true right there in any movie. <laughs> she's done loads of them, and she's always brilliant at it. And then Forrest Whitaker and another guy trying to rob the house, and they lock themselves in the room. It's all real time as well, I think, so it takes... Uh, yeah. It's over about 90 minutes. But I think from a direct... It's like direct-to-porn, I think. The way, <laughs> the way the camera goes through the house and it's obviously all set up to to just kind of show off 
the technology at the time. So I have read a few things that it looks a little bit dated CG, CGI wise, but um, for me, that's not enough to, I just, I remember being blown away by the direction and the camera work, the way it zooms through the keyholes and through pipes. And it was kind of, I thought it was quite groundbreaking in that way. Yeah, I remember it being, at the time, you don't really appreciate it unless you become a bit of a film nut. But when you go back and look at that, or even just when you see it for the first time, you don't appreciate the level of groundbreaking work that was done with the camera in that film. Mm. You think about it, a house is a small place, okay? Mm. Houses are tiny. In fact, most productions don't like filming in houses because you can't get all your equipment in a room, let alone actually spin around people, look at various angles coming through and make it all seamless. Mm. And Panic Room was very forward-thinking from that perspective and, yeah, definitely an underrated movie from that. The only thing is, and actually, I've got a, a couple in my list do actually have Forrest Whitaker as well. His eye is really off-putting. <laughs> yeah, but it's iconic. I think his eye peaks in this film. It's his peak it's Whitaker his eye. Peak Whitaker eye. Perfect. Perfect. Just about. It was just the right time when it wasn't too HD enough for you to be off-put by it. Yeah. But it added extra let. Because he was the, the slightly less evil rubber that you kind of rooted for. You're like, come on, man, have a change of heart, and I won't spoil the ending, but. I mean, the whole the camera, like you were saying, it it just adds so much claustrophobia to the film and adds suspense. And it, I thought it was really underrated, and a lot of people will disagree with me there. So, what's your next one, Flynn? So, for me, I'm going with I'm sticking with Christian Bale. I'm going with one of his earlier films. Actually, I saw this in I think 2004. Two, and um, I remember sneaking into the cinema because I wasn't the right age to see the certificate at the time. It's called Equilibrium. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. The concept is it's a dystopian future, and we have um, and there's been global catastrophes, and the only way mankind has decided it can continue surviving is the elimination of all emotion. So everyone in the future has been taking a drug to suppress all emotion. And that means they live in a very uh, futuristic city where everything's perfect, everything runs on time, everyone's very pleasant, there's no war. And Christian Bale plays a what they call a cleric, and their job is to basically uphold the law. And his partner is Sean Bean, and of course the Bean classic actor. Sean Bean has stopped taking his medicine, and... Um, Christian Bale has to go after. I'm not spoiling too much. You see this in the first couple of minutes, so you know, please don't think I'm, I'm ruining it. I'm just setting up the, the premise for you. Um, Christian Bale has to go assassinate Sean Bean. And it's Sean Bean, he dies in everything anyway, so yeah, that's that's no spoiler. If Sean Bean's in a film, he's dead. All right, spoiler alert. <laughs> and um, basically, Christian Bale also stops taking his medication after he's killed Sean Bean, and he starts feeling emotion again. Mm. And I think there's one scene in particular where he hears music for the first time, mm. because uh, without create, without emotion, you can't create, and without create, you can't express yourself. And music is what one of the greatest things you can do to express yourself with. And uh, all music is banned as a result of that, because I don't want people to stop taking their drugs. And he goes to the outwards. So they live in this fictional city. I can't remember the name of it. It's been a while since I've seen it. But there's a scene where they go outside the city, and he finds an old record player and plays a, a classic symphony song. And... The emotion he feels in that scene 
you can just see it flood into his face. And I remember then thinking, wow, this is incredible. It also helps that all of a sudden the film becomes a kick-ass action film where the fight scenes are incredible, the choreography is amazing. And um, I remember at the time, the posters would say, it's like The Matrix. And it's like, well, actually, it's nothing like The Matrix at all. But um, there are some amazing action scenes in it and it absolutely blew my mind. And I watched it probably about two years ago. And although, because HD wasn't really about then, like in terms of, uh, the camera and equipment and stuff it doesn't scale up the hd very well it is still a very good film what's another underrated gem for you john well here's one that sprung to me very recently actually in the last 20 minutes to be honest but i watched it on the plane which might have heightened my emotions as is scientifically confirmed through uh studies we've spoke about that John Crick confirms. <laughs> yeah. So I watched it on a plane for the first time, but I've been meaning to watch this film for years. Right. Literally years. And this film has actually... Danny Boyle has gone... Maybe my favourite director now, because I, I just... I can't think... I can't fault him on anything. Can I, is it Sunshine? No. Ah, oh, Sunshine's such a good film. Watch it. Anyway, sorry. It's... I, I like Sunshine, but it's 127 hours. Ah, yes. With uh, James Franco. True story... Uh, he goes, he's this extreme biker, hiker, climber guy. He go, goes out on his own, uh, rock falls on his arm and he spends four days and he's going to die and he does the unthinkable, the only thing he can do. Um, he, uh, spoiler alert, but it's a true story, so it's fine. He cuts his arm off with a very blunt penknife. Um, it's incredible. Uh, and... But I, so I knew the story. I knew, you know, exactly what happens, which annoys, you know, how annoyed I get when, when I know, when it's predictable. But Danny Boyle did a, such a good job of painting and decorating every little part of the story and paying homage to the guy's story. Mm. And then it ends with a Sigur Ross song, which just made me ejaculate on the plane <laughs> in my pants. And it was superb. I, I loved it. It exceeded my expectations even though I knew I would love it. Mm. Um, so it made me think it was underrated because, I mean, we all might be aware of the film, but whether or not, I don't think that many people have seen it. It's not Danny Boyle, one of his uh, most commercially successful, but uh, stupendous film, so I really liked it. I agree with you on that. I think probably a lot of people thought the idea of a guy being trapped by a rock for four days, ultimately cutting off his arm, wasn't compelling enough. But um, I... I've seen this film quite a few times, actually. It is whenever it comes up on... It's always a film for sort of film. Yeah. always seems to pop up there. But um, I, I think... I want to get the names... Is it, it's James, isn't it? His brother's Dave Franco. Mm, yeah, yeah, James, James Franco. Franco in this. Um, I think he's absolutely... He's it's his an, best role by far I've ever seen him in. Uh, I, he's, I just want to say he's a really good actor. And he, he has been in a number of roles where... Okay... <clears throat> Okay, Pineapple Express, hilarious. Yes, okay, he does stoner comedy amazingly, but he actually has some pretty good acting chops. Mm. Um, you're probably right, 127 Hours is probably his best one. I thought in that Planet of the Apes movie he done, I thought it was fantastic in that. He also does a lot of low-budget productions, like straight-to-DVD sort of things, but they're not crap. Mm. <laughs> and um, what I love about uh, 127 Hours, actually, is the way how they interject moments of his life to make you not like the guy. You realise he's a bit of an ass. He mm. treats his family a bit weird. Am I right in thinking he cheated on his girlfriend or he... Uh, I don't think 
he's an ass, but he's a kind of he's a human. alpha. He's a male, and he's like, I can do everything by myself, and I am confident, and I'm just my own man. So it's easy to kind of feel a bit... But you see him at his weakest point, where he's almost all this stuff is coming to him and realising it, and it's... So it's, he's definitely not a unlikable guy, but what I liked, it didn't really focus so much on... It wasn't like an endurance movie. Yeah. It, no, I agree it, in the same way that Matt Damon in um, Martian, Martian, <laughs> that I was worried it is an endurance movie, and it's not. It's definitely a little bit. There's more to it. There, it's not just pain, 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 pain. You know, it's the mental pain going yeah. through the journey went through. And what I, my favourite scene in that film actually, and forgive me if I've got this wrong. I haven't seen it that much recently. Um, was when he breaks his arm free. Yeah, he's free. Mm. And he sees a horrible, boggy puddle. Yeah. And he is so happy. And he drinks this horrible water. And you could just see, but I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a testament to great acting. That could have been the finer champagne, you know, of how happy he was to be just drinking this muddy water. Yeah. And the final bit you see in this film is where I think it's like a year later and he's swimming in a pool with his new new limb mm. and they just show how he's he's gone through a journey he's now you can see he's a better person for going through it and they show a picture of the original guy who looks nothing like <laughs> <laughs> james franco yeah. whatsoever but uh, but yeah good 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 shout there john cool so my next one once my phone decides to unlock is i'm gonna go with a denzel washington movie uh, have you seen man on fire yes I I think it's incredible. It's basically a film made for me, really. It's um, about a a bodyguard who is paid to look after a little girl, uh, not in a seedy, horrible way. And basically, it's in I think Brazil. Uh, that's where the country it's set in. And the little girl gets kidnapped. Denzel Washington goes on a murderous rampage to get the little girl back. Now. We are quite used to seeing Denzel Washington in these sort of films now. If you think of films like The Equalizer, Book of Eli, uh, Magnificent Seven, are being that tough action man. But he never really done those sort of films before this. Mm. What I like about this film is the use of colour, the use of culture, the way it does subtitles in this film. Everything about it is kind of like... I mean, when I was thinking, I love this film and I think it's underrated, you probably think it's a budget Tarantino-style film. What do you think of Man on Fire? I liked it. I oh, oh, wow, I'm surprised. I liked it. I haven't seen it for a long time, but I did like it. I was hoping you were going to say Fallen, Denzel Washington film. Have you ever seen that? Yes, but that's... Tell me a Denzel Washington film that isn't At appreciated. Least, yeah. like, Denzel Washington is such a good actor. Yeah. Everything he's in, even the crap films, or the films that could be crap, somehow he makes good. Mm. And I was just thinking, oh... But Man on Fire, no one waxes lyrical about it's that true, film. It's true, yeah. It's a good one because uh, it doesn't probably doesn't get the credit it deserves. No, and um, I, it's a very self-contained film. Actually, interesting bit of news about Denzel Washington. He's making his first ever sequel with The Equalizer 2. Now, <laughs> he's been in some amazing... American Gangster. Yeah. Oh, such a good film. You just think of... The, there's such a repertoire of films he's done. And you, if you're going to do a sequel, why are you picking The Equaliser? But anyway, that aside, Man on Fire. What, what about you? That's a good one. Uh, I'm going to pick a really recent one that 
people definitely wouldn't have heard of. Uh, it's called Frank. It's Michael Fassbender. Yeah. Yes, I love Brilliant. it. Brilliant. It's just the most imaginative, wacky, weird film. Uh, it ha- it sort of references more Frank Sidebottom, right, from mm. the 70s who wore that giant head, had a really annoying voice, was like a basically a failed comic, kind of really weird guy. But the only thing it really takes is the head. And Michael Fassbender... Spends the whole film in the head singing for this band. Yeah. And it's the songs are kind of cool from what I recall. Uh, the acting's amazing. It's got a cool cast. And it. I just thought it was so wacky. It, maybe, I mean, it's never going to be commercially successful. It's not set up to be that sort of film. But it's. Uh, I just thought it was a wacky, fun, really underrated movie. And it was. it had music at its heart. So it obviously lent itself to to my tastes. I absolutely concur with that choice. What I find quite interesting, I remember when I saw that film and I couldn't help but think, because there's a scene, I can't remember the exact details of it, where he's talking about why he's got the why he's got the mask on and I couldn't help but think of Tom Hardy's Bane just going, nobody cared who I was till I put on the mask. <laughs> but um, that aside, it takes some balls to make this film, okay? You've just got Michael Fassbender, Academy-nominated Michael Fassbender in your film. It's quite a low-budget production, and what do you do? You stick a massive polystyrene head on his head for the entire film, right? That is scary, but at the same time, incredibly bold and genius. Yeah, and his character just... It kind of becomes more and more... Intri- you're more intrigued as the film goes on. Why has he always got this on his head? What What's with him? And then you slowly... He becomes more human. And it's... Yeah, it's really interesting and a fascinating movie, I think. Can I ask you something? Sure. Why do you wear that? You think it's weird? Kind of. Well, normal faces are weird, too, well... The way they're smooth, 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 and then, you know, all bumpy and holes. I mean, what are eyes like? Like a science fiction movie. Don't get me started on lips. Like the edges of a very serious wound. That's true. But your head is still sort of intimidating. Well, underneath, I'm giving you a welcoming smile. He's one of my favourite actors, Michael Fassbender, because he can be... He can be an android in an alien film. He can be Magneto in an X-Man film. Or he can be doing some complete, off-the-cuff, random black comedy like that. And, and he'll pick that as well. He he seems to, you know, direct his own destiny and, and be in what he wants to be in, which is very commendable, I think, in this day and age. Well, I, I, my favourite... I mean, we could do a whole podcast just about best Michael Fassbender movies, but I remember the first time I saw him in... I know he was in 300, but he didn't really have a big role in that. But in Inglorious Bastards, yeah. which I think is a very underrated Tarantino film. That's not made any of my list, by the way, for underratedness, because any Quentin Taro, Tarantino film is elevated because it's Quentin Tarantino and everyone mm. sees him and loves him. But out of the Tarantino movies, Inglorious Bastards never gets the loving it deserves. But anyway, the next film for me, I'm going to say, is a film called Repo Men. It's got Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker in. Mm. Seen it? No, I haven't. So the concept is it's kind of in a not-too-distant future where we are able to buy organs 
and through a, a conglomerate. So if you've got a dodgy liver, good news, you can just go have a, an artificial one made. Um, the idea of this company is that you do a life deal with them where you will pay a, a ton of money to them every month and you get your organ mm. and that's it. Um, if you can't afford to make the payments, the repo men will come and take it back. And it's a it's an action slash, I'm going to say, off-colour comedy where um, Jude Law is the protagonist in this film. So him and Forrest Whitaker are best mates. They've been repo men for most of their lives and they just go break into people's houses and say, look, like our collection agency would do, you, you, owe, you owe like 50 quid for your heart. Can you pay it? No. Okay, they then trank them and take back the company's property. Oh my word. Um, halfway through the film, uh, Jude Law has an accident. He wakes up in hospital with a new heart. And um, everything's good as long as he keeps working. He decides to not work because he realises he's killing lots of people and it's actually really hard to keep up with his payments. Mm. And Forrest Whitaker becomes his repo man. And it's just, it's such a cleverly shot original story which has now become a Broadway musical, which has actually become quite successful. But um, it has a really good soundtrack. It's just a, it's a surprise package. I remember when I first watching this game, I don't really like Jude Law and yeah. the concept's not particularly great, but I've, I think it was on Sky and I had nothing else to watch. And um, I absolutely loved it. I thought, oh, this is incredible. I don't want a sequel to it. I don't want it to be remade. It's just a really great self-contained film. I really heavily recommend it, Repo Men. Uh, I'm deeply intrigued i'm gonna check this one out it's got a really good soundtrack oh brilliant okay i'm i'm watching it should right. we do should we do one more each yeah that's good for me okay i've got i've got two that i had on here i'm gonna say them both but i'll only pick one so one is they're both kind of comedies is this underrated truman show no it's not underrated it's not underrated <laughs> okay Everyone loves that film. Everyone knows how good yeah. it is. I it didn't, win an did it win an Academy Award? Let me. While you talk about your second one, I'll look okay. up the Truman Show Awards. Well, that I will say, Man on the Moon, uh, another Jim Carrey movie about Andy Kaufman, a biopic about Andy Kaufman. Very underrated movie, Man on the Moon. Yep, I'll but give you that one. I'm going to pick a wacky one for my last one. I watched this for my for my seventeenth birthday party. I had everyone around, and we we rented the weirdest movie we could find in Blockbuster, which happened to be Bubble Boy. Jake uh. Gyllenhaal plays a boy who lived in this bubble for his whole life, <laughs> a literal bubble, uh, because he has immunities and he can't get even a cold, he'll die. Um, he has really protective parents. And he goes on this, uh, you know, become coming of age story where he, it's a road trip sort of movie where he meets all these wacky people. It kind of, I think, is one of the original wacky road movies where you go and meet this crazy thing and then do this and then this. It's like The Hangover, but if Hangover was original or funny because uh, <laughs> I'm not a big Hangover fan It's uh, it hits all the notes for a half decent comedy the only problem is there was no half decent comedies around at the time so it, it shone a lot more than it should have yes the, you're talking about Hangover right? yeah, yeah, yeah 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 of course yeah so the Bubble Boy I mean it's the, it's the stupidest movie but I love Jake Gyllenhaal and I love the fact that he did this I mean he must have been early 20s when he did it he's quite young um, have you ever seen it? Yeah, I loved it. It's post uh, Donnie Darko, isn't it? So it's basically is it, 
Yeah, so it's just after Donnie Darker. It's <laughs> just not... after he's become a household name. I love that. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's basically he, Donnie Darko is the one that broke him and then, like, as in, not in, a, not in a bad way, not in a Batman, I will break you way, in a, you know, he's now a superstar sort of thing. And, um, yeah, he went and done done that film afterwards. By the way, Truman Show won a buttload of Emmys, Golden Globes okay. and stuff like that. You can't say it's underrated. I don't know. I don't know why I even mentioned You just it. wanted to mention how much you love that film, which is fair enough, to be fair, it is a classic. Mm. I, I think I was just trying to think of Jim Carrey underrated movies, but Man on the Moon would have been a much better choice. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Bubble Boy. If you haven't seen it, watch it, and then you come and get angry with me because I wasted an hour and a half of your life. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's memorable. It's... So what's your last one? So you? my last one, uh, I mentioned it earlier in the news. I'm going to go with Ex Machina. Oh yeah. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, the concept is um, it's you don't sort of know when it's set, but you assume it's it's modern day, and an employee who works for a company which is basically Google, but they're not allowed to say Google, so they just describe themselves as a search engine, which is the leading authority in in everything. Um, an employee from that company has been invited by his boss to come to a retreat in a remote. Iceland uh, cabbage, uh, cabbage, cottage. It's in Iceland. Yeah, I think it was Iceland. It was based oh. and um, Iceland, uh, the country, not the supermarket. <laughs> and um, he he goes there, and the reason why is because his boss notices that this particular guy in the company is an amazing programmer, specifically working on artificial intelligence within search algorithms. He says, "Oh, I've got an experiment for you." And he introduces a a robot, and the the idea is that he wants this employee to spend four days with the robot to see if she can pass. Is it the Turing test? The, mm. the basically the test to determine whether a machine is a machine or a person. And um, the obviously the bi- biggest disadvantage is that he can physically see she is a robot. Um, but it's a very suspenseful film. It's a lot of time spent interviewing each other. It makes you think about the human condition, what it means to be human, what it means to be have emotion, uh, what's the difference between loving a person to making love to a toaster. You find out um, lots of interesting things about how the brain works, how it processes information. And I remember expecting just to see a trashy sci-fi movie coming out of the cinema thinking, wow, that was incredible. That made me think not just about how I viewed the world, but actually about how, how where we are at the moment in terms of how we are getting with artificial intelligence, whether it be just chatbots on the internet or, or looking to remove things like loneliness when it comes to communication with people. So, um, yeah, really underrated. No one really... I mean, yes, the cast went on to much bigger and better things. You've got... Um, Elisa, who's now Tomb Raider. You've got the the employee went on to be in Star Wars movies and Oscar. I can't remember his surname, but he plays the boss. And um, he's obviously he's in uh, Frank. He's in Frank. He's also about in, time. He's also in Star Wars: The Force Awakens as well. He, he's in a great episode of Black Mirror. Really? Yeah, really good episode. Well, I think he's a fantastic actor. Actually, I think everything, even that X Men movie where he plays the bad guy, which I don't blame him. It was a crap film, but he does what he can. You know, he's 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 got some really good acting chops, and I think that film is really underrated. Apparently, it is lining up for lots of sequels. I kind of don't want that. I'm just happy of the self-containedness yeah. of it. It's a it's a brilliant movie, and I think it will age really well because it's bringing up these talking points that are only becoming more prevalent as time goes on i'm hearing so many i listen to a lot of podcasts and they talk a lot about ai and all these questions come up 
questions that this film deals with. So I think, yeah, in 10 years, I think while it is underrated now, maybe it will be looked back on as quite a, a big hit, hopefully. Well, so there you have it. Our underrated films that may have passed you by. Please get yourself on Amazon and start watching these classics and let us know what you think. My name's Adam Flint. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Flint. And my name's John Crick. You can find me at Descamento. So we just want to take the moment to say thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've liked what you hear and you want to hear more of it, please click on the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with a bumper show full of reviews. I'm going to look at the new It movie as well as Kingsman The Golden Circle. And we'll be back with a streaming gem or two. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. We're down in the basement. We'll lock the cellar door and baby. Talk filmy to me.